Welcome to the Wild and Free podcast, episode 29. I'm Ainsley Arment, and this week you'll hear an interview with Rachel Kovac about making time for handcrafts, finding a way to enjoy math, and learning all about the Waldorf pedagogy. You'll also hear a conversation with Elizabeth Enser all about being a homeschooled homeschooler. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. believe it's almost December. I mean, weren't we just welcoming fall? I'll confess, I always get a little mixed up this time of year. I still have pumpkins on my doorstep while newly strung twinkle lights adorn my mantle. In a similar way, my heart isn't sure how to feel. I haven't quite caught the spirit of the coming season. Don't get me wrong, I'm enamored with the magic of Christmas. Always have been. As a little girl, I basked in the spirit of the season as we trimmed our tree, decorated cookies, and decked our halls. I fell in love with the nutcracker and danced in the glow of candles after bedtime when no one was watching, the music of Tchaikovsky still playing in my head. But growing up and becoming an adult can steal a bit of that enchantment. You only have to go to a shopping center between Thanksgiving and New Year's to know what I'm talking about. If the traffic doesn't frustrate you, the long lines at the grocery store certainly will. And don't get me started on the social pressures. Taking photos, buying gifts, doing crafts, attending gatherings, and even observing Advent can often feel like another thing to do rather than a way to celebrate. Hear me out on this. If no one has given you permission to skip all of the seasonal pressures to help care for your heart, can I be the one to let you off the hook? We don't need to send everyone cards this year. No one expects us to give them a perfect present. And we don't have to attend every party we're invited to. Perhaps by stripping away the unnecessary things, we'll discover the real beauty this season has to offer. Why not create our own family traditions that bring joy and peace to our homes? They don't have to be complicated. Simplicity is at the heart of all meaningful moments. Instead of dishing out $300 for a fancy holiday meal, let everyone make their favorite food item for a simple feast. Instead of going to see a Christmas show, put on your own Christmas pageant in the living room. Instead of putting up a tree, hang a bough and decorate it with paper ornaments, much like John Muir used to do in his own home. And while we all want to lavish our children with an abundance of good things, let's choose gifts that will last in their memories. Experiences over excess, connection over consumerism, peace over plenty. Maybe the greatest thing we can do to celebrate Christmas this year is to make it a quiet, peaceful, humble season of rest. I have a feeling that's exactly how the very first Christmas felt to that little family in Bethlehem. Rachel Kovac is a regular contributor to the Wild and Free content bundles. She's due with her sixth baby any day now, so we're waiting with blissful anticipation. A couple of months ago, she chatted with Jennifer Pepito at the Wild and Free family camp, and I'm thrilled to share this conversation with you today. Let's listen in. I know that you are really crafty, and I think you have a tutorial coming out in the new Handcrafts print magazine that people can purchase. I do have several. Okay, um, I'm so excited. Handcrafts in that. Yeah. 
And then I have a new tutorial coming out in the upcoming Well and Free Bundle. So how do you make time? Like I think that for a lot of us as homeschool moms, what takes up a big part of our time and energy is figuring out how to run our homes because, yeah. and if we're not thinking about it, we probably should be because somehow everyone has to be fed and they have to get clean clothes on yeah. and, and that's a group effort, but somehow you're doing it kind of to this next level where you're actually dressing oh. them really well. So how are you managing to fit in handcrafts with your kids and sewing in the middle of having five children? Yeah, I have five and we have one on the way. Yes. Well, I don't do handcrafts with my children all the time. That is something that I teach them on a monthly or bi-monthly basis. And then they have those skills to be able to take it out on their own. And so I would say they're very creative, but it's not like I'm sitting down and always teaching them and setting them up with these big projects. Not at all. So can you tell me a little bit more about how your daily rhythm works? Yeah, so we try to create a predictable structure to most of our days, which I also think is a form of preventative discipline. Mm -hmm. I think especially for the little ones when they just know what to expect. Um, We start out every morning with a morning walk, and I think it's so good for them to get their wiggles out and be able to focus in on school afterward, getting that fresh air first thing in the morning. And when they know that this is just the way we do things in our family, there isn't any arguing or fighting about it. When we first started, or if I would ask, that used to be my parenting style more like, would you like to do this? Would you like to do a walk right now and there'd be yes or no or I think so but then they would change their minds and so they just know every morning we start with our morning walk and we come back and we do our morning time and a cleanup another thing I learned from Waldorf that was so important was having kids help with the cleanup not trying to bear when you talk about how do you have time to do sewing I do make my kids help a lot we're just a team and if I'm cleaning then most of the time they need to be helping too so that we're all working together. Right. And really, there's a lot of motor skills and cause and effect ideas and so many different educational skills that come from the motor skills you developed yeah. in, in helping around the house. And there's also a lot of studies now that show the importance of teaching children to do chores mm-hmm. and the way that that pays off later in life. Just work ethic, learning to contribute, and how it builds their self-esteem yeah. because they feel like they're making a difference. And- Interesting. One of the studies we read on happiness said that self-control is one of the biggest indicators of future your happiness yeah childhood self-control which is i mean sometimes seems counterintuitive i think so many of us were you know parented in an overbearing way where there wasn't necessarily a lot of respect for our needs or our wants and then we can tend to like go really far the other way where we don't end up having any respect for we we don't necessarily teach our children how to have a little bit of care and concern for other people because we're so accommodating to them yes and when i took these waldorf courses on rhythm they actually said that people come to waldorf with that issue all the time they grew up in a very authoritative family they felt that that was so oppressive and so they wanted to do something different but then they're really struggling because their house is a mess and they're feeling like there's just chaos there's no predictability and so that really influenced us so after morning time then we do 30 minute rotations and that's an idea i got from sarah mckenzie who has six children i believe right and, and a she, set of twins and a set of <laughs> twins i'm always wondering how are people running their homeschool days and doing it with young children because it's a challenge homeschooling with toddlers it's a challenge absolutely So we do 30 minutes where I will work with one of the older children and then one of our other children will play with the toddler. It teaches them responsibility or reading, reading skills. Yeah. Oral presentation skills. Like when you have an older child read a book out loud to a younger child, they're working on their mouth motor skills and their articulation skills. And so many useful skills come from just helping with a small child. And I think even for my little eight-year-old Tia, her name's Tariqa, but we call her Tia. It's almost like this imagination 
imaginative world for her to be able to, I'm going to play school with you and I'm the teacher and I'm going to set this up. And they get into that. And sometimes they'll go over the 30 minutes because they're having so much fun and they're bonding as siblings. When my 12 year old has to play with my two year old, then they develop that bond too. And they learn how to be nurturing as an older child to meet the needs and learn the patience of dealing with the toddler. Those are all skills right, that are so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And they have beautiful relationships. I so. love that about relationship because I mean, I think that's one of our goals as homeschoolers is that our children will love each other too. Yeah. But when we as the mom try to meet every single need, we almost make our kids lose out on that opportunity. Yeah. And I don't know if you ever feel this, but sometimes I feel a sense of guilt when I'm having my kids help too much. Right. Like I wish I could be presenting them with this beautiful lunch that only I made yes, and they could yes. just come to the table or yes. that, you know, that I wouldn't always have to ask for their right. help with these things because they do have to work hard. Yeah. But then I see these beautiful things that are coming out of these right. relationships that they're forming and their their tenderness toward one another and a nurturing spirit and a yeah. patience. And so even though I do sometimes have a sense of guilt for asking them, because I think a lot of times there's this attitude in this culture, children should only have to do academics. Right. And that's it. That's their only job. Have you? I, I, I know that. And it's I feel like it's so wrong. It's interesting. I, I actually just found this quote by Charlotte Mason and she's talking about how there was this utilitarian form of education that came in then, which has got to be like a hundred years ago, a utilitarian form of education that only valued the academic and the athletic performance of children. Yeah. Which is so interesting because it still feels that way sometimes. Like it's still if I ask my kids to help with the dishes then I'm robbing them of an educational time. But I think I found that there are other things that are coming out of having them help out and being part of this family and, and we'll be at someone else's house and they'll say, Hey, can I help you bring your the dishes back? Can I clear the table for you? Because they've learned that at home. Not to say that they're perfect by any sense of the imagination, but I just feel like I can let go of that guilt a little bit more totally there's there's so much that our kids are learning and i love i love the studies that ainsley has been talking about by peter gray where he's talking about delayed formal academics oh yeah and it's you know it's not like we want to not educate our children but i think just that we can recognize that handcrafts and helping around the house and playing with a younger sibling are just as valuable as sitting down and doing a math lesson or doing a reading lesson and i think a lot of that comes later so we didn't do um formal academics until later by this society's standards my children, my oldest two, didn't learn to read until maybe second grade. But then they were reading Lord of the Rings and The mm-hmm. Hobbit yeah. by like fourth grade. In third grade, my daughter read the entire Little House on the Prairie series. Right, right. And so I think you can burn a lot of energy trying to teach a two-year-old phonics. And they'll learn it really fast as a five or six-year-old. Exactly. And they could be doing other things that are maybe more developmentally appropriate, mm-hmm. right? They could learn how to, to read early, but... But instead, they could learn some motor skills by pinning clothes on a clothesline. or some organization categorizing skills by putting silverware away in a dish drawer. Yes. When I had a consultation with a Waldorf educator recently, she talked about how once that door closes, that realm of imagination that these young children are living in, it doesn't reopen. I mean, that's a stage of life that only lasts for a certain amount of time. And once it's over, it's it's over. And so if we just want to nourish that imaginative part of childhood for as long as we can, and we don't have to worry that they won't learn to read. Yeah. So back to your rhythm, you have 30 minute rotation where you do a little bit of school time with each child and they were and then the other children work with other children and that's when you do math time or is that okay so another idea I got from Sarah McKenzie that's been a lifesaver for us because we do Singapore math okay is we have a math tutor that comes in oh yes yes (laughs) okay for one it has eliminated the tears I didn't have a lot of tears but sometimes I have one child Uh who will 
resist math and cry and working with someone else they have a different attitude than working with me um, and it's a college student so it's someone that they think is cool and I know that a lot of people say that math tutors are very expensive but ours are paid the same amount as what we would pay a babysitter so it's I mean it's an investment but for us it's been so worth right it. and is that every day or several days a week we do it two days a week okay and and really I mean like my math? son's in seventh grade okay okay yeah so yeah. to do math Singapore math, it, it changes out of Singapore math to a different name, but it's very time consuming. Right, absolutely. And yeah. especially for the upper grades, I mean, that is why I put my students when they get into high school into community college classes because yeah. I'm not a good math teacher. Like I love counting or playing corners with my little kids, things like that. But when it gets to higher math that I don't even know very well, it's just overwhelming for all of us. And I think I can better use my time in discussions with my kids or yeah. talking about great books or other things that I feel are a better use of my time than trying to figure out math with them. And yes. that's when I outsource. Yes. And I couldn't agree more. And I was a finance major. I love math. I'm passionate about math. In fact, I'm planning to write something for an upcoming bundle for Wild and Free about the importance of parental mindset around math uh -huh. and being positive about it. Because there's been studies that have indicated that if mothers and teachers and parents in general have a negative view about math, their children do not achieve as well in math. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so that's good to know. I took a class through Stanford University. She also talked about how there's no such thing as math people and non-math people. Oh, interesting. And how everyone can learn math. Yeah. Wow, because I think as homeschoolers, often we excel in the humanities. We excel in reading and writing and things like that, but it's the math that we aren't as strong in. And then there's also this sense that with math, it's not as, like even Charlotte Mason didn't talk as much about math as she talked about reading and stuff. Oh, interesting. Even though I did math and I love math, it's also not what I want to be spending my time teaching because it's not something you can do with a group of kids together. And I really like to optimize that time that we have together as a family rather than only working. I try to leave only 30 minutes for that 30 minute rotation time. Um, and if I put math in there, I could never get everybody's schoolwork done because we're also doing grammar and some right. other things I need to work at an age appropriate level. Does that makes sense? Right. Absolutely. And so I prefer to be working with my kids as a group to be reading things that we can all enjoy and singing together and, and doing these crafts or walks and then math. It just takes too much time. That's right. why we outsource it. Right. So essentially you have your morning walk and then you guys have morning time and what do you guys do in your morning time well that has shifted um somewhat recently we started doing more i think this is charlotte mason so we do a hymn study uh -huh. and a recitation that okay. we're working on and then i keep waldorf block scheduling because charlotte mason's 15 minute blocks just feel too short to me yes if short. i want to read a couple of chapters i want to read a couple chapters and i do not want to be stopped and i feel like it <laughs> kind of disrupts the flow that you can get into when you're right. going really deep mm -hmm. so we work in blocks, so we're going to do a block of fairy tales. And even though those are geared in Waldorf schools towards first graders and kindergartners, they can speak to older children. PhD students dissertate on fairy tales. And so we can all learn from those things. We just did Macbeth. We did a kid's version, and then we went to the play. That was that's a Terry fun. Woods-inspired idea. Oh, yeah, that's neat. And we're going to be doing a block on ancient Egypt okay. coming up. So a lot of Waldorf-inspired blocks that we move into our morning time and work on as a family. Waldorf is very challenging to try to implement if you have a bunch of kids because the blocks are so deep and they're not they're different for every age level interesting so I typically do a lot of our studies around a chronological view of history which is something I learned from a classical educator perspective but Waldorf doesn't do chronological so how do you pick what you're gonna study I just actually pick whatever I find interesting in the Waldorf curriculum that seems like it would fit all of my children's interests and, and needs and that I'm passionate about too now do you do one Waldorf curriculum that you use with all 
all the kids and you add your own grammar. So essentially your morning time you're doing in a multi-age setting. Yes. So I do have the different Waldorf curriculums for the various ages, but Waldorf doesn't really have a set curriculum. It actually said that for the early years, excuse me. So it said that for kindergarten, the classroom should emulate the home. So that's why they're doing a lot of baking and cleanup. And then I have right now a third grader, a fifth grader, and a seventh grader. And I'm combining my fifth and seventh grader with just giving my seventh grader a little bit more work than my fifth grader because um, we're studying ancient civilizations and you can do that in fifth grade or in seventh grade. And I feel like it's rigorous enough. A lot of people are curious about Waldorf education, yeah. but sometimes it seems like it's this big mystery to find out more. Like I've tried to find some books on it and research, but it's not that easy. Yeah. I don't know many people who really resonate completely with Rudolf Steiner, uh-huh. the founder of a Waldorf right, right, Education. Right. His ideas are very eccentric. Uh-huh. So there's not many people who follow Rudolf Steiner exactly. Right. I don't really know of anybody in real life that accepts Rudolf Steiner's teachings okay. as he had written them because okay. they're a little bit different. Right. So how yeah. did you learn all that? What resources did you find well, to learn about? Well, when I had my son, I was in Madison, Wisconsin. There was a lot of alternative education in that city. And I had friends that were interested in Waldorf and Montessori. And I never heard of Charlotte Mason until I came to Wild and Free. Okay. So from the time my son, who's 12 and a half, was a baby, I'd heard about these different things. And and I didn't want to do the workbook at home thing. Right. And I just didn't know there were a lot of options outside of Waldorf and Montessori. Wow. Okay. That's neat. Because I think a lot of people only know about the workbook option. Okay. And they don't know about... Yeah. So I, I felt grateful to come into it. Yeah. How did you find classes? If people wanted to learn more about Waldorf education, where would they find a class or what books would you recommend? Okay. So I really like Christophorus, but... I I do feel like I have to have a disclaimer because Waldorf education is different. So it's probably not going to meet everyone's philosophy or outlook. So I just take what I like and I leave what I don't like. Um, right. But I do like other parts of the Waldorf education. Right. And then, so Christophorus is the best one that you've found. Yeah, the woman who created it was a Waldorf. She went through the Waldorf schools. Then she's in a Waldorf educator. And then she created a Waldorf curriculum. And she also has audios that you can download to listen to to help you implement Waldorf in the home. She's also very practical about how to implement Waldorf in the home if you have multiple children. Interesting. That's neat. Yeah, and I do love, I think Kim John Payne is probably a good starting place too for people with young children. Simplicity parenting. Right. I think so. Waldorf, in terms of young children, it's not, like I said, it's not really a formed curriculum. So, But even just more the idea of starting with rhythms because I think for, for yes. so many wild and free families yes we're just trying to get our footing and so even having an idea of establishing rhythms in the day and having our children help out with some of the chores around the home is a big asset to us yeah <laughs> well it's been really fun Rachel to chat with you about rhythms and even a little unexpected bunny trail on Waldorf education which I'm very curious about as well so okay great thank you for sharing thanks your so much for having me Despite all of the pressure this season can bring, I'm so excited about our December bundle hearth. It's full of all sorts of rich homeschooling goodness, sweet traditions, delicious recipes, nature journaling, beautiful tutorials, and inspiration for learning and living through this season. It's meant to encourage your heart while also giving you practical ways to bring life to your days. I won't give it all away today, but in case you're not a monthly subscriber and have maybe been on the fence about joining, this is a great week to do just that. Not only will you get this month's bundle, Nourish, last month's bundle, Embers, and all the conference audio from our Nashville event. But you'll also get the Hearth Bundle coming out this Friday. That's three bundles in one week. Just be sure to subscribe by Thursday, November 30th to get all of these in time. Visit bewildandfree.org bundles.
Elizabeth Enser is a second-generation homeschooler, and I loved hearing the story she shared about her mother and the wonderful, creative experiences that she gave Liz and her siblings. She also shares a bit about how her family is planning to celebrate the coming holidays. Here's the conversation. I was reading the recent bundle, uh, I think it was the November bundle for Wild and Free, and you had an article in there about growing up homeschooled, which I love talking to people who were homeschooled because I think for so many of us, we're feeling like, oh, there's a big experiment and how's it going to turn out? And yet here you are, an adult woman homeschooling your own children who was homeschooled and survived and not just survived, but thrived. <laughs> Yes, not just survived. <laughs> so I thought it'd be fun to have you just share with us some of the things that you loved about your own homeschool experience. And then even since we're close to the holidays, I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about traditions in your family growing up and then in your family now. Oh, great. I love that. Well, I was really fortunate to have this amazing mom. She truly was a pioneer because no one was homeschooling in the 80s and 90s. I mean, I didn't know anyone. We hardly had any actual friends that were homeschooling here. And she just made it so fantastic. There were the slow mornings that I think every homeschool mom loves and we just never felt rushed. I just remember really loving that feeling every morning and in the cold, we'd have a fire going with our cats around us as we read. And it was, you know, so idyllic in a way that we could just gather around. There were four girls and kind of a little bit of that little women experience, if you would imagine. And she just had such a vision for what school should be like. And after we did a lot of our things, which were pretty independent, we had most of the afternoon to play, which I'm so grateful for. I just I just think it's really amazing how she set that schedule, which is kind of how I do things now. And I really love the free time. And I think you agree with me that there's nothing better for a childhood than all the time to use your imagination and to do the things that really interest you. Yeah, I think Ken Robinson actually says that imagination is is the source of every form of human achievement. And he talks about how we're really killing human achievement by overscheduling our children's lives. I totally agree. And my mom did so many fun things. I wanted to share a couple uh, fun stories. She uh, was reading to us about World War II and uh, there was a book called My Father's Promise. And it was about a family that they heard the Nazis coming down the street and their mom said, you know, pack your bag and we're leaving right now. And my mom, when we got to that part, she put the book down and she said, everyone, there's Nazis at the end of the street. And she told us the street name. Can you hear them? And we were all listening like, what's going on? She said, go to your room, get your backpack and meet me in the backyard. We're going to climb over the fence. I mean, this was like, this was school. I went to my room. I grabbed my ice skates and you know, I went to the kitchen, got some snacks. I think I took a photo album. I mean, very silly things that obviously you wouldn't need if you you were really fleeing your house. And we got all to the backyard and she kept going with it. She just, she kept going into the story. What did that feel like? What, what if someone really was there trying to invade, you know, our city and what were all the things going through your mind? And we sat there in the backyard and talked and talked and talked about what this boy must have felt like in that book. And those experiences, they stuck with me forever. It was not just imaginative and not just playful and read alouds, but it was this interaction that I didn't really think any of my friends were experiencing with school. So that is one of my very favorite homeschool moments. <laughs> 
<laughs> what a great way to make a book come alive and just amazing her creativity and it was it was so fun she loves history and one of the things that I'm so grateful to her about is her passion for the things that she really loved even though history is not personally my favorite subject out of everything we studied it came to be because she loved it so much and I think that's one of the really great things about homeschool moms is that they decide what am I passionate about but what is our family passionate about and then they instill that love into their kids and to me that it's just so authentic that it feels so natural you don't have to keep guessing am I doing the right thing because it's what you're already kind of moving in that direction and then another time she found a big refrigerator box and put it in the living room and we built an ear and it was supposed to be all the things in an ear that you could walk through and like experience how an ear works and she had us color with yellow marker earwax we were just giggling the whole time and then she had pots and pans in there we were banging it for the eardrum and we experienced learning and so even though she didn't spend a lot of money and it probably took the whole day maybe even a couple days I have thought that that was the funnest thing about school was experiencing school and seeing it as more of something that you touch and you feel and you walk through with someone than someone telling you this happened or this is how it works. It's just amazing because, you know, so many really good teacher teachers, you know, teachers of teachers say that one of the keys is to be excited about the material. And even the Waldorf method talks a lot about how the teacher has to model learning. And your mom did that so well with her excitement about projects and her excitement about discovering new she things. She did. She she was really amazing. And she prayed about each curriculum, each subject. And especially as we got to high school, I really loved literature. And she found a tutor for me that had just graduated and had been studying in Oxford and studied under C.S. Lewis's personal biographer. And that was someone who came and sat down with me and taught me to love literature. So she was always spending the time to really hone in and make education, not just here's your workbook. All of it came alive. And then when there are things we really love to study, she really challenged us and put things in front of us that really, I think, made us love learning even more than I realized. I said this in the article, but my mom had this conviction that all of us girls needed marketable skills. It's not something I hear a whole lot of people talk about, but she said that in case we don't go to college or don't get married right away, that we need to be able to support ourselves. And so she kind of put it out in front of us. And then before you leave the house, you need a skill. I remember thinking, wow, this is kind of cool. My whole childhood is acquiring skills. And so I, I started learning all these things sewing and cooking and calligraphy and all these things that would end up I would use later on. I was a high school art teacher for a couple years. Now I'm a teacher of my boys. And I love the idea that there is something that Lord put inside of us, but also on a practical note, we need to be skillful in something. Right. And you know, one of the things that's really sad about institutional schooling is that they focus so heavy on math and language arts in a lot of ways, the exclusion of actual 
marketable skills, even just the relationship skills that are really important for success in the world. Yes, in, in the it's world. so true. And I think, you know, when I grew up, we were outside, you know, making clubs and bike riding for hours and hours. And, you know, we were learning even things, just get how to get along with each other. And now kids, everything's so scheduled and they almost don't know what to do with free time. And so I, I'm really trying to do the opposite of that, which is create lots of opportunities to be creative, really hone in on the things my boys are drawn to. But I am intentionally not busy and we intentionally say no to a lot of things. <laughs> It's important, especially, you know, I think that we all have our own vision to follow or our own mm-hmm. family goals. But if your vision is raising mm-hmm. creative people, then it's really important to have some slow time yes. scheduled in. So tell me a little bit about holiday traditions. Oh, man. Well, I love the holidays. And I I just... I look forward to them, but I try to hold myself back once fall hits to not, you know, start everything too early. I usually start the planning in my head. And then once kind of Thanksgiving hits, then we really start doing the Christmas traditions. My mom did a lot of like handy crafts and um, we did a lot of baking in the kitchen. And so for my boys, we've started doing, we do gingerbread houses with cousins every single year. We love Christmas movies. I think most people do as well. We always get ornaments for each other. And I love the Nutcracker. So our Performing Arts Center hosts that every year. And so either my husband and I see it, or this year, I'm going to bring my son for the first time. He's nine. So I have just been itching to take him. This is probably one of my very favorite traditions is seeing the Nutcracker and doing a dinner before. But I am really excited to implement something new this year. I was thinking a lot and talked about this with my husband and I said, can we take one gift that we would normally buy each other and replace it with an experience? And so this year we're going to buy one less gift. And so, you know, if you already don't buy a whole lot of gifts, maybe you already do this, but we're going to buy, you know, tickets to an event or to go do something adventurous as a family as part of our Christmas gift. And it'll be something to look forward to after Christmas is over and then something to kind of instill that not only the patience, but the adventurous spirit that I want to raise in my boys. Last year, we traveled for Christmas. Okay. We spent it in Ireland with family, and then we went and did a mission trip in in Africa. Oh, wow. And it was amazing. It was such an impactful experience for all of us. And then after Christmas, I didn't have tons of toys lying around that really at that point nobody played with. And I definitely didn't have any debt because we saved ahead of time for that. Right. So we're doing that again this year. We're doing a really small Christmas gift wise, but we're going to spend Christmas in Assisi, Italy. (gasps) where St. Francis had the very first live nativity. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I love Italy. We're, oh, that's going to be amazing. Yeah, I've never been and, and we're really excited. But I just love the idea of starting to think about, okay, why do I buy all these gifts? Mm-hmm. What, how does it enrich my child's life? Is there something else that would enrich them more than perhaps one or two of these gifts? Right. And my favorite quote is Henry David Thoreau that says, we make ourselves rich by making our wants few. And I remember talking to my husband saying, we don't need to make more 
more money. We just all need to stop wanting more. And we have so much already. So if there's nothing I want, let's just be content and have fun together and not be looking to the next thing and the next thing. And I know for kids, especially because my boys are really little. I mean, Christmas is still magical. We'll still buy them gifts. But as they get older, I'd like to replace more and more of those gifts as they mature and understand that those adventures as a family are things that you look back on. You remember those more than the Lego set. (laughs) And I think we do kind of train our children's expectations. You know, when you read a lot of the historical Christmas stories, like even the Little House on the Prairie books, Mm -hmm. those kids were ecstatic over such simple gifts. Right. And so we can either train our children to be excited about a couple of gifts and stockings, or we can train them to need, you know, hundreds of dollars of gifts. And we can we can Mm -hmm. develop because honestly, I think that sometimes we buy things based somewhat on peer pressure, like feeling Mm -hmm. that we don't want our kids to be gypped or we don't want our kids to have less stuff than their friends. But so often by the time they get back together with their friends, a lot of the toys are kind of absorbed into the household. And it's not, you know, it's not like everyone stacks their toys up next to each other and says, look what I got. Right. You know, that's so true. It really is a heart change. And for me, it wasn't something that I wanted to just have less for the sake of less. I wanted my heart to just desire less stuff and more quality time together and then kind of shift the family into that focus a little bit. And it's taken me a while. I don't think I'm perfect in it whatsoever, but I still love gifts. That's one of my love languages. (laughs) So I want them to be more meaningful. And I've actually felt like it's so much more fun to sit and think of a creative experience to buy for someone versus just something that they've written down that they think they would like. So I I think that's to me getting creative with that experience or, or event or so, whatever it is we're going to do instead. I think that is almost going to be more fun, at least as the gift giver. Right. And I do love how parameters on gift giving can help make it more fun and creative. We've done the tradition where you do something to wear, something to read, something you want and something you need. I might have said that out of order, but okay. we've done that tradition before and that kind of makes a fun parameter to think about, okay, a great book from the thrift store, a new pair of pajamas or a cute outfit, a toy they want, and maybe something else that I know they're needing, like art supplies. Right. And then another year we did all handmade or thrifted. So it could be either one. Oh, but fun. it was really fun. It brought a lot of creativity out and it took as much time, but it was a fun family project to really be creative in that way. So I do love how mm-hmm. there's so many ways of making Christmas more about people than about purchases or whatever holiday mm-hmm. season you celebrate. It's so true. I talked to a friend and she said they don't do gifts. And I was kind of shocked. And she said, you know, just before she even had kids and was married, she just said, I'm not going to do gifts and I'm going to do experiences and create huge, m- amazing memories. So she plans events at Christmas time and that's her gift to everyone. And she said, do you realize I have no stress at the holidays? Zero. She goes, I don't buy anything and I don't wrap anything. <laughs> I felt a little jealous. I thought, wow, I, I thought that is amazing that she has really embraced what is important to her. But then also she's not busy running around buying all these gifts and wrapping all these gifts. And so I just really admired that. And I thought, how can I glean a little bit of that into this year? So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And it's no joke. I mean, I, I have seven kids. So yeah. even if I buy each kid only three presents, it still adds up to hours of wrapping. Right. It really does. Well, another thing that we 
have tried to do really every Christmas, but this Christmas we put an extra focus on some ways of giving. Like Mm. I try to bring my kids into, if I'm giving to a charity, I try to let them know, like we've been helping out with the Walden Free Farm, done some donations there. Mm -hmm. And there's some favorite missionaries that we support. And I've tried to let my kids know, look, we're contributing toward this project and this is going to be so exciting. Or, Or we did the Operation Christmas Child boxes together. So anything that we do for others, I try to get them aware of and involved in also so that they get the excitement and that the really precious memory that, hey, we're part of not just giving to each other, but to our wider community. I, I, You know, I forgot we did something last year. We created these blessing bags for the homeless that we would see in our city. And I just kept them in our car and they had gloves and like a toothbrush and just some different things that I felt like could be, I think a hat. And the boys helped me shop for them and then fill them. And then when we saw someone in a safe way, uh, would give those away. And I, th- I think it would be really fun to do that again. I love that idea because I hate I hate driving by someone who's holding a sign. Right. But I also hate, I, I often don't feel real confident about giving money. Right. Having something in your car that was a way to help them without necessarily enabling them. You know, it can be whatever you want. It could, you know, have some granola bars or whatever. But I just thought some things, some hats and gloves and things for the cold would make the most sense. It gets pretty cold here in Oklahoma. So it was exciting to have those and to really think about other people before it's even cold and kind of have those in our bag for our family to do together. So there's so many things you can do. And I love hearing what other people do as well. Just that we're all making our own little drops in the bucket of Mm -hmm. making the world a better place and helping others and and raising children who will feel the same way about life. Yes. Thanks so much for joining me today, Lizzie. It's been really fun to chat and I'm excited about thinking more about some of the holiday traditions you talked about and hopefully being just a little bit more creative Mm -hmm. and inspired in my homeschool. I love that. Yay. Thanks so much for having me. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but join us next week for the Wild and Free podcast. (laughs) 